Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What up? What up? What up? It's your boy Rodney Perry. That's right. It's the return of Rodney Perry Live. That's right. And the only way I could come back was with my, my guest for the day, man. One of the most fabulous comedians I've ever had the pleasure of working with. The bad girl of comedy herself. She will be joining us in a little while. Her name is Lunell. She's an actor. She's a, a a comedian. She's a a, a world traveler. She's a globe trotter, and uh, she's one of the funniest human beings I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Uh, quickly, before we get going, the, the name of the show is Rodney Perry Live. Uh, my website is rodneyperry.com. My Twitter, I'm at Rodney Perry. And uh, you can go to my website and check my tour schedule because I'm coming to a town near you. That's right, a town near you. Rodney Perry is coming in full effect. You do not want to miss it. Um, Denver, I'm coming to Denver the 24th through the 26th at the uh, Denver Improv. And then I'll be going to Indianapolis on the 28th, laughing on the Ave. And then I'm doing comedy at the movies with my man A.G. White in Brooklyn, New York, uh, that's on uh, June 30th. So June is a, a big month. Uh, we, we're doing a lot of shows. Myself, uh, my brother, my partner in crime, Ryan Evans, uh, little Johnny Vance, he's rolling with us as well. So we're excited about that. Brand new text code. Brand new text code, 41411. Text 41411. You know, text that and text Rodney Perry, and that will get you in and do all my updates. You'll get all of my updates via your text. So that's a great way to, for us to stay in contact. This is Rodney Perry. It's Rodney Perry all the way live. I'm so excited to be back. Blog Talk Radio, shouts out to Blog Talk Radio. I appreciate y'all for uh, letting me uh, use this forum. Uh, any of y'all out there going, man, I want to get get my voice heard, well, this is the excellent way to do it. This is Blog Talk Radio. Why talk about doing a show when you can have your own show right now? So with that, I'm about to bring on this lady. Um, I know her as the bad girl of comedy. She makes a mean, a mean set of gravy. I mean, if you ever had some good gravy, you 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 ain't had nothing until you had Lunell's gravy. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, show some love for my friend, Miss Lunell Campbell. What's up, Lunell? Hi, Rodney. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Don't, don't let Rodney fool you. Drop the Campbell. I'm just Lunell. Like, I, I'm uh, sorry. I, I put your government all out there in the street, didn't I? <laughs> Yeah, I got my last name all out there. <laughs> well, you know, when, when, I, when I Googled you, you know and I'm I was doing, I'm, I'm sorry? You know I'm hiding some folks. <laughs> when, when, I, when I Googled you, and it, it, it tripped me out that, that uh, your last name even came up. Man, one thing, uh, when, I, when I knew I was going to be doing this interview, I hit my Twitter page, and I said to, to my Twitter people, I was like, I'm interviewing Lunell. Do you have any questions? So... I'm going to start our interview off with a couple of questions from uh, Twitter. Uh, uh, you, really, you, really got some, you really got some Twitter res- responses to that question? Absolutely, absolutely. At uh, T. Mizzy, at, at T-M-I-Z-Y, at T. Mizzy asks, 
What did working at Soul Beat teach you? For those who are not familiar out there in Blog Talk Radio Land, Soul Beat is a television network that was independently owned by a brother named Chuck Johnson in Oakland, California, that was on for 25 years. It was all black-owned, black-operated cable live television, and it was on before BET, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, myself, a comedian named... uh, Bo P, Rockefeller, some other um, cats that I've worked with that have gone on to uh, comedic notoriety. We all used to work there um, back in the day-day. I was what they used to call a VJ and a show host. I had my own shows, several of them, and uh, also used to spend videos at the time where you had to play them individually one by one. What Sobe taught me, first of all, was discipline, because uh, coming from the theater, I already had that. But when you go on the air at 3 o'clock, you don't have the leisurely um, attitude that, oh, I can get there at 3.15 or 3.30. You can't. You have to be on the air at your time slot. But since it was Sobe, sometimes we did goof, goof up <laughs> from time to time. And it also um, taught me a lot of camera technique and... Um, television prowess, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on TV continuously, and I was live, and uh, had a lot of uh, uh, fans, and um, it taught me, you know, how to be popular in public and how to handle a certain amount of notoriety. So that when I did come to LA, I didn't get my head all big because I'd already had that. Wow, uh, great great answer, great question from at T. Mizzy. Uh, and, and, and you know what, I think you, you spoke to, you know, what I wanted to cover in terms of your time at Sobe. First of all, Sobe was the precursor to what we know as BET and TV1 and Centric. You know, Sobe was very much ahead of the power curve. So to be famous in Oakland at that time, because what I remember when I got to Oakland, you know, everybody already knew Lunell, you know. So uh, what was it like to be able to walk into, you know, your favorite food place and have that celebrity that early on in your career? I think it's the best thing that could have happened to me, actually, because when I did come to Los Angeles and some notable brands and did get some um, – um, notoriety out here, I didn't get the big head because I had already had that. I was already used to people flagging me down. I was already used to signing autographs. I was already used to people hauling my name out the car at the red light. I already used to taking pictures with people. So a lot of people, when they come to Los Angeles and that starts to bubble for them, that's when the head trip starts. But I had already had that. I already knew how to handle that. And I think that was one of the best things that could have happened to me was getting over that celebrity early in the game. And plus, in the city like Oakland, you got to keep it pretty much 100 or they will take all that love back. Great, great answer. Uh, let, let's move on. I got, I got another Twitter question. This comes from Gavin Richard, and his Twitter is at GavMRich2786. Gav and he asked, ask her, how she got her start 
as a comedian and advice for younger comedians? I'll try to give the short version because um, it is a long, convoluted. Uh, <laughs> okay. It is a long, convoluted um, situation. I actually had a roommate who was dating a comedian when I was living okay. in Long Beach, California, back in the early 90s, late 80s. And he used to be over to the house all the time, and he was the host of a comedy club called Miss Wiz back in the day-day in Long Beach. And he said, you know, you're pretty funny around the house. You got a quick wit and kind of a smart mouth. I think I'd like to put you up. If you ever are interested in doing stand-up comedy, you come to my club, I'll put you up whenever you come. And so I said, I'm not thinking about being no stand-up comedian. I want to sing background for Luther Vandross. That was what I had in my really? mind. Yeah. I wanted to sing background for Luther. Because, you know, back in the day, Rodney, I had a pretty decent voice, I must say. Some of the OGs remember. And so, uh, but one night after a few margaritas on the on balcony, beautiful Long Beach heat, me and my girls posted up in the car and went to this particular club. And that night I did, I, the very first night I got on stage, I killed it. And uh, the late Robin Harris was in the house that night. He approached me after the show. Gave me his card, which I still have to this day. Wow. Gave me the address of the Comedy Act Theater, told me I should go down there and audition for Michael Williams, which I did. I met D.L. Hughley. We started working together, doing some shows together, and the thing just sort of took off and snowballed. But it was never my intention to be a comedian. And what advice would I give to young comedians starting out? I'm going to give you the same advice that I got, which was nothing. Um, I think that if you really want to be a comedian, it's such a me business, you sort of have to fend for yourself in that genre. Um, I can't teach you how to be one. I don't know whether you have talent or not, but just know that being funny professionally is not just being funny around the barbecue in the backyard. You have to make roomfuls of people that don't know you and aren't particularly on your side when they first see you have to make them laugh. You have to do it on a continuous basis. The only way you're going to get booked to make any money is if you are, um, uh, if you're consistent, consistently killing them, consistently funny. You can't be hit and miss. So I would right. just say, you know, know whether you really have any talent or not, and don't delude yourself. That's the best advice I can give you. <laughs> don't don't fool uh, yourself. Don't fool hey, yourself. Right. Okay, uh, since we're talking comedy, Lunell. Uh, you've always been fearless to me in terms of the the things, your subject matter, the things you choose to joke about. Uh, why is that, and is that deliberate, that you are that fearless? I think that being the eighth of eight children um, sort of made me fearless. I think that being the baby, as it were, in a family of eight, I got, you know, punked and pushed around a lot. And um, um, if you don't speak up and not bite your tongue, you will be overlooked. You will be stepped on and around, and nobody's going to pay any attention to you. So I think that maybe that might have been my breeding ground for just being blunt. And I also had a very blunt man 
who raised me, and I get a lot of it from him. We don't get along to this day because we were so much alike. So I think that just the household that I was raised in and the situation that I am, you know, in the family made me be that way. I also really started out sort of as a quiet kid, but when you get, you know, I found that after being pushed around and shoved around a lot, speaking my mind made me feel so much better than the pit in my stomach that I had when I was holding things in. Therefore, uh, it just came pretty natural to me, you know, later in life. I love it. Uh, to everybody who's tuning in, you're listening to Lunell, the bad girl of comedy, actress, uh, 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 philanthropist, uh, mother. <laughs> she does it all. Uh, our guest call-in number, 718-305-6383. And, uh, of course, the chat room is up and running. You can chat with me directly uh, during this episode, man. And, and Lunell, uh, when, when I decided to bring this show back, you know, because I, I haven't done it in over a year, and uh, oh. when, I, when I booked the uh, Monique show, my, my schedule just got very busy. And uh, yeah. but I decided to make time because I think there are so many of us that people don't really know about. Those of us, especially that are comedians that joke for a living, people don't know that that Lunell is not just a comic. She's also an actress. She's also uh, uh, a mother. She's also, you know, very active in, in her daughter's life. She also has to travel, you know, a large part of the time. Um, and a sex symbol. And a sex symbol. Have you seen the shoes, people? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the, the, I, I'm not even going to even get into the shoe situation you told me about. So, <laughs> so uh, what's the difference for you now, like like when we were when we were in Oakland, when we were all struggling and and you know going out to Sweet Jimmy's and to the the end zone on High Street and to you know Bo's Bounty and to uh, uh, and to all of those great places we used to do comedy at. What's the difference now when you're going out and playing the comedy clubs and people are coming to see you? Well, I think that's the difference is that that I have an audience that actually would. Will- get dressed and come out of the house specifically to see me. I did a lot of opening for people, middling for people for years and years and years, and I was just the secret weapon type thing, like people would come to see somebody else. But I would pop on the stage and be like a stick of dynamite, and they would leave the show going, wow, you know, the headliner was great, but that girl, that girl, that Lunell girl, my God, she was hilarious. And what's her name again? And, well, we'd like to see her. She should have been the headliner and stuff like that started happening. I think that's the difference, is that people are actually wow. welcome to me now. Now, now you, you spoke to opening, opening for people. Uh, I know you toured uh, with Cat Williams, what well, the world knows. I mean, you guys made a movie about it. Uh, tell me about about that experience and and what you walked away with uh, when when on the, uh, after the last day of that tour. Wow, um, that experience was I'll count as one of the greatest of my life, mm. as I'm sure that your experience, you know, being the co-host of the Monique show, is one of the greatest of your life. No matter what I do in my life. That will always be one of the greatest experiences of my life. 
first of all, I had never done that many shows in a row in my life. You know, we did. We were on the road for almost a year and a half, it seemed like, and uh, we did shows that got into the hundreds, you know, and I had never done that many shows before. Wow. Consecutively in my life. I had never uh, been on a tour before in my life. Melanie Camacho had been on several tours before cat tours. She toured with Maxwell before and with Martin before and things of, of that nature. And I had never been on tour. Nobody had ever, I guess, dared to take me out with them. And that felt really good. The cat reached back since we knew each other in Oakland for quite a while reached back and got me and chose to take me out on his tour. <clears throat> I also had never seen, been on a rocket that took off like that. We started out doing shows at the improvs and stuff, small, you know, maybe during the weekend, maybe doing four shows in a weekend, right. all of us in the same dressing room. And we went from the time that tour started from doing the improvs when we ended up at you know, Radio City Music Hall in wow. New York City in front of thousands of people flying on G5 private planes with, you know, having our cars pulled up to the tarmac and washed when we got off the plane and popping champagne listening to rap music at 30,000 feet in the air. That's an experience that one doesn't forget when you come from where I come from. Right. And it was just the um, opportunity to see somebody blast and take off and actually take over the world right before your very eyes. When we started the tour, we used to take pictures and sign autographs after the show, and it got to be so much that we actually had to stop because when you're in a 3,000-seat theater and 2,090 people are waiting to take pictures with you, now you're there for three hours after the show, and we just have to stop doing it. And um, Cat was, at that time... And I think actually still is a, a comedic genius. The things he came up with and the way he presented them, the inflections in his voice and the yeah. expressions that he made, his agility physically was uh, uh, bar none. And it was just a joy to see and a, a wonderful uh, thing to be a part of. You know you know the way I characterize it because, you know, of course, you know, Kat is a friend of mine as well. And... He's probably I, I I give him the the um, designation of being the first of our peer group to break through. I mean, you think the people that pre predate us, the Cedric Entertainers, the Steve Harveys, the Moniques, you know, they're 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 a couple of classes ahead of us if we were like in high school. But Cat was like one of our 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 peers, and to watch him catapult like that was amazing. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And then to have a tour that is so successful that somebody wants to make a, a road a road trip movie out of it, you know, like with Bean Crosby and Bob Hope or something, you know, back in the day, the old road trip movie, we, we were just really blessed. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, going to go down as a cult classic. You know, the people who come up to me and say they still watch that movie like, you know, once a week or something like that, which, you wow. know, they should wow. So, <laughs> so uh, 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 enough about that tour. If, well, when Lunell does her world tour, 
and and Nunel gets an opportunity to take maybe a couple of comedians with her. Do you have an idea who those people will be? Well, I really don't have an idea who those people are because the thing about it is I would probably want to do a search because mm. here's the thing. Um, for as many funny people as I know, there's lots more funny people out there that I don't know that are funnier than the people that I do know. And I would probably want to run some, I would probably want, want to run some contests around the country to pick the people who go on tour with me so that I could do like Kat did with me and I could reach out and give some people a chance, you know. Yeah. I don't want everybody to see the same old people that they already know. You know, I don't want that. I would want to bring some new people that can really kill it to the forefront and give them a chance to make some money, give them a chance to get on the radar, give the audiences a chance to see some new people. So I couldn't say who I would take. Wow, interesting, interesting. Now, now you spoke to working those consecutive dates. Now, I find, like, you know, when like even when I play a comedy club and I'm doing five or six dates in a weekend, that really fuels my, my fire for my comedy. How How did playing so many dates affect your comedy? Well, I think there's no choice but to get razor sharp. When you're out doing anything consecutively, you're going to get really good at it. If you're out lifting weights five, six nights a week, you're going to develop a really strong muscle. Right. If you're out telling jokes, doing comedy, performing live in front of people that many times a week, you're going to get really, really good at it. And by the time we were out maybe six, seven months, I had the tightest 20 minutes I'd ever had of my life. That was just would start and build and build and build and crescendo and explode and then be out. And nobody could touch us at that time. I, I really am very proud of the set that I used to do. Mm-hmm. Used to, because now I look back, you know, to me it's dated now, you know, if I look back into stuff. But at that time, it was I was really proud of what I was doing. I was a little bit more agile, too. I was hitting the flow like, you know, I ain't doing that no more right now. Uh-huh. That that part is over. But I uh, I really, really feel that I you have, have no, no other choice but to get ra- razor sharp because you're out there doing it. You're seeing what works, what's not working so well. You want to take your hottest stuff and do the segues, melt them all together, and and give the audience in that 20 minutes everything you've got. And sometimes we had two, sometimes three shows in a night. So it was, uh, it was, it got to be a, a bit of a grind. Just the, uh, ma- you know, for women more so than men. Just you know, the makeup, the hair, the heels, the dressing, right. the you know, doing it again and doing it again and doing it again. But, you know, you have to be careful what you pray for because if that's what you pray for and you get it, you know, don't don't whine about it. Just go do it. Be be blessed. Hey, I tell people all the time, it's like, man, do you mind people coming up to you in public or this? I'm like, this is what I signed up for. Like, you don't get the success and the, and the other things without having to give some of that back. You know what I mean? Well, I also, I think that there's a certain kind of, comic or entertainer that's approachable and friendly without it becoming super manic. Like, I can understand why a person like Kat or 
you know, in another genre, maybe a Nicki Minaj or a Gaga cannot just do what you and I did when we went to South Beach, which was go out, throw ourselves in the middle of the crowd, and have fun with it, because they would create too much of a manic state. And I can understand why they don't do that. But people such as yourself and myself, I think that we have a certain ghetto sequoia which uh, well allows us to, yeah, which allows us to be, you know, quote unquote, famous yet accessible. Yet we can shut a person down if they're getting out of bounds. We can handle our own, you know. And if it gets to be too much, you just simply, you know, tear out of the situation. But um, I think that I have taken so long to get to the status that I'm at and hope to be at in the future that it will be well handled when 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 it when it occurs, you know? Absolutely. Okay, we we talked about Lunell the comedian, which is, you know, very important to me and I know it's important to you, your your role as a comedian, but let's talk about Lunell the actor. The actress mm. um I've heard you talk about it, but I don't really know your theater background. Tell me about your theater background. Well, the first thing I ever did, of course, to perform in front of anybody was be in the church choir. That's what I first considered my first performances because it's like the quickest study you'll ever get. You have rehearsal on Wednesday. You have a show on Sunday. Between Wednesday and Sunday, you better not forget, and then – if you do forget, the next Wednesday you're going to hear about it, what you did on Sunday. So that was my first exposure to live performing. Then I went to go see a play that a friend of mine's sister was in. And after the show, we got to go backstage to the reception. And I saw people drinking champagne, taking pictures, being adored, signing programs, being hugged and loved on. And a light went off of me, and I was like, oh, I I want that. I want to do whatever it is they do to get me some of that. And then I started at the Oakland Ensemble Theater in Oakland. I I actually lived in the suburb of Oakland called Castro Valley. It was white. I used to take the bus, the number 80 bus from Castro Valley to downtown Oakland to go and take theater classes, um, uh, dance and acting and um, uh, set design and all that kind of stuff. And um, that's why I first started doing theater because when I was going to the all-white high schools and stuff, I could never get cast in a decent role. I was always in the background. I could never get a lead, so I had to go where I could shine because I don't really play well in the sandbox with others. I've always stood out as an individual, and I wanted to get some lead roles. So <clears throat> I did theater <clears throat> in the Bay Area for many years, and I finally got cast in a cabaret show where you had to be triple threat. You had to sing, dance, and act. I got in a show in San Francisco called Beach Blanket Babylon that to this day remains the longest-running cabaret show in the world, and there's only been like 20 black people who've ever been cast in the show, sort of like, sort of like Saturday Night Live, where they're going to have one brother, one sister per season. That's it. That's the way it was with Beach Blanket, and I got cast one year as the token sister, and it was a great uh, experience. Lots of costumes, quick changes, sold out audiences every performance, eight days a week, eight, eight shows a week, Sunday matinees, and we got paycheck, and we got medical. It was, it was a great gig for three years. 
Wow, incredible. You you know, uh, I remember, like, Oakland was very, well, the Bay Area was huge for me personally as a comedian because I got a chance to, that's why I grew up comedically. I'm from Chicago, but I grew up on stage in Oakland. And so you were there. Yeah. Uh, uh, I remember you giving me this lesson. You probably remember this. I think we were, like, uh, in the green room of the punchline, and you were about to go on, and you needed to change. And you just start changing, and I was like, "Let me get out of here." You was like, "No, nah, baby, uh, I've been in. The, I was from the theater, you know. So this is just what it is, you know." And I was like, "Whoa, you know." But I remember. Yeah, I've been taking my clothes off in front of people forever because, first of all, when you're in the theater and you you don't have time to be prudish, it's about get her done, you know, as they say, get them clothes off, get on your next thing, and go. And yeah. You really don't have time to stand around and ogle people because you're handling your business. And I, uh, you know, that is me because there's, you know, a movie that I'm doing now that I have been uh, fitted for prosthetic boobs and butts and I've been slathered with plastic and plaster and I've been naked, you know, I have the greatest body in the world. I'm sexy, but I ain't got the greatest body in the world. (laughs) I've had to take my clothes off in front of rooms full of people. And if I had an issue, I think that that would have been very hard for me to do. But, you know, you just have to suck it up take a deep breath and just drop it and, and go on and do your job, you know, because this is a business. It's show business. You know, I'm not playing anymore. Everything I do is, you know, the end to the means is a paycheck and notoriety and to move on to the next level. So you don't have time to sit around and giggle and play games because these people are professional. They're doing their job. They, they got a job to do. You got a job to do. So, I, I you know, I don't, have, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with taking my clothes off in front of nobody. If you can, you can handle it, I can handle it, you know. Hey, and for the record, I did ogle you, and you did look incredible. So, uh, thanks, Rodney. Thanks. <laughs> you, you can ogle me anytime. <laughs> no, but but you did give me that little lesson. Like it, it, this 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 thing is bigger than you. And and who am I, you know, to 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 be hesitating to take my clothes off? And I know I got to be on stage in four minutes or whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't also, have, You just don't have time. You don't have time to trip on that if you are truly about being about your business. You know. I got a great lesson from Tony Royster. You remember Tony Royster? Of course. He just called me last week. I didn't answer the phone, but he did call me. Get out of here. (laughs) Tony Royster (laughs) once told me, he said, why are you on stage with all that stuff in your pockets? And he was like, you got all that shit in your pockets. He said, Rodney, take that. He said, it's distracting. You got keys and fucking your wallet. He said, take all that shit. And till this day, I don't go on stage with stuff in my pockets. What What is the little tidbit that you've learned over the years that you use either as an actor or a comedian that you that you still kind of implement that was like maybe somebody said to you in passing? Well, it's really nothing that anybody said to me. It's just something that I observed because I always tell everybody I was an audience way before I was in theater or I was a comedian or an actress. I was an audience person. As an audience person, I like to see my stars. I like to see my entertainers look like stars. I Mm. want to see something glittering. I want to see something clean, pristine, crisp. I want to see creases. I want to see nails done. I want every hair in place. I want the shoes shined. I want the cufflinks sparkling. I want my stars to look like stars. I come from an era of the MGM movie people. Yeah. I like to see the Mae West, the Gene Kellys, the, uh, you know, if, if Michael hadn't watched the things that I watched, he wouldn't have been the entertainer that he was. 
You right. know, I look at the Sammy Davis Juniors. These guys think they got bling because they got a Jesus piece. They need to Google Sammy Davis Jr. Look at the jewelry that he used to rock. Yeah. Nobody out here has the jewelry like Sammy Davis Jr. used to wear. And, the, and this, this is old. So, and it was real. You know, they're not doing yeah. anything new now. And and, and the, the gowns and Diana Ross changing five and six times during a performance. These girls are just now starting to do that, but Diana Ross was doing that 30 years ago. And I don't like to see people like Dane Cook wearing jeans and a Grateful Dead T-shirt when I paid $55 for a ticket to come see you. I'm dressed up. I want you dressed up too. And that's just the way that I feel that if you're going in front of your audience and they're expecting to see you, you should look the best. They should be able to lay you in a casket and put you in the ground. That's how good you should look that day. Wow. Well, well said, man. I, I'm I'm a firm believer of that as well. And uh, well, tell me this because uh, I have people that stop me and be like, "Oh, you got these nice suits on now. You see, you're doing it." And, and you you probably like me. You've been fly for 20 years. You know what I mean? Well, I look back at some of the stuff I wore, and actually, I wasn't as fly as like. <laughs> But I thought that I was really I, I look back at some of the stuff I was wearing, and, you know, even if it came from the swap meet, it might have been the way that I put it together, or I might throw some glitter on the sleeve, or, you know, I know I went to a Colonel Abrams era where I was wearing, you know, the Admiral hat and the epaulets on the, uh, I've had many different looks. You know, I had the dookie braids, I had the, I, you know, I had the, the, the the colored hair I've had it all you know I've, I've I've had it all it took me a long time to get to where I found something that was gonna be my style for years to come I've been through you know all kinds of stuff but I think that even when I was looking whack in my head I thought I was looking really good so if you think you look good you'll feel good and if you feel good then you'll perform well so. You know, I I would just say that we have you have better suits because you can afford better suits now. You know, and they make better suits now. But you know, if you look at DL as as pristine and as creased and polished as he looks, I mean, let's re- rewind the tape. And he thought he looked great when he had them crazy cross colors on. Yeah, and did. you know how <laughs> whack that is. But at that time, you know, it was him, kid and play, and everybody was you know rocking every color in the Crayola box. Yeah, that that's but true that, of that era. You thought you looked good. Yeah, that era we thought we looked great, you know. So it's, you just got to put put something together that makes you feel wonderful, and and hopefully you'll have some people around you that that will tell you the truth. <laughs> that's <laughs> the best things you can have people around you that'll tell you the truth, you know. Now I, I've been I've been lucky enough to share um, uh, stages with you as a comedian and as an actor. We once did a, a sitcom together. And I'm gonna let you tell the story, but we didn't finish that that particular sitcom. Money B was in it from Digital Underground, and it was it was back in the I want to say the early '90s, the mid '90s. It was in the mid '90s, and it was directed by Terry Hobson. What was the name of that thing? It was actually gonna be like a soap opera. It was on a set that was sort of like the Cosby set. It had bedroom set and a living room set. Right stuff like that, and we didn't get to finish because I went into labor on the set. <laughs> I had to be wheeled out and go have a baby. <laughs> I was in full makeup. I looked fabulous, I will say that, as I was waving to my constituents on the gurney on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember it being so amazing to me 
that you were such a trooper to even be there that day. Because, you know, we had been there before you had the baby. We had been there like probably eight hours, you yeah. know. And, yeah, and I didn't really, uh, I, it's because it, it wasn't that I was a trooper, Rodney. It was more like I was in denial, you know. I knew the baby had to come out, but I had no plans on being there when it did come out. But lo and behold, you know, uh, I was I was actually present for that birth. And uh, I wasn't prepared, you know. I didn't have any kind of bag that you take to the hospital with my right. gown or anything. I only had my purse with some emergency numbers on a piece of paper in my wallet. Because actually my mother had just passed away and um, I got pregnant and didn't, uh, you know, didn't acknowledge it for like months, didn't even go to the doctor until I was like five months, didn't start taking any prenatal. I was just in denial of the whole thing. And I was like, I'm not having no baby, this is impossible, I'm going to have a miscarriage as I was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's why I was at work because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not having no baby. Yeah, I know I'm big. I know this one in there, but I'm not having it. Oh God! The ultimate denial. Now, now the, the denial is in the other room right now. She's fifteen years old. That's, that's where the denial is right now. Denial is denial. Yeah, denial is my denial. Right. Wow. And 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 about to about to celebrate our sweet sixteen coming up. I'm sure. Oh, in January, sweet sixteen. I oh, told her, God. don't get it twisted by these little heifers on MTV. You're not having no party like that, so, you know, you better get your ice cream and your roller rink ready because, you know, I'm not hiring T.I. to come to your birthday party and no crap like that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Hey, you know. okay. Okay, so, Linnell, let, let's talk movies. I remember being so proud when I saw you in the movie The Rock. How did that, mm. how did that happen? I actually was seven months pregnant. In that movie, and if you go back and you look at it, when I have to get up, I don't just stand up. I kind of walk, I kind of rock up when I stand up because I was big, and it was really amazing because you're talking, you know, Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer, movie, wow. you know, who I had to audition for, and they're huge guys now, and um, nobody gets hired for a film seven months pregnant. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And I had to shoot at night on Alcatraz, which was run by generators because there's no electricity over there. It's just, it was really, I begged for that role. I begged for it. I begged for it. And I went in there and I improv my way. They didn't have any lines written. They just gave me, uh, I don't even know how I really got the audition. I guess I had a little agent, yeah, I had a little agent in San Francisco. And he called me and told me they were looking for somebody to, uh, you know, play a uh, tourist that's gotten captured, gone over there, no lines. And so I was like, this is great because I suck at memorizing anyway. So I went over there with my little headshot. My girlfriend took me over there, I was pregnant, waddled out up, and I was in there with a bunch of white actors looking very professional with their packages and everything. I'm pregnant me, <laughs> sitting right there. And I went in there, and they, you know, they were like, you know, okay, you're, you know, this guy is taking you hostage, and, you know, you want to get out really bad. Okay, go. And I was like, you know, first I was like, let me out, help, help. And finally I was like, let me out this motherfucker. <laughs> and they're like, okay, 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 cool. Go see wardrobe. And when they tell you to go see wardrobe, that's, that's a wrap. Yeah. Right. So it's that's a wrap. Yeah. Yep. Man, that, that that's incredible. You know, I always tell people um, about my children, right? I, I remember my, my daughter Rochelle was born, who's the same age as Danielle. 
and yep. and we were about to have our second child together, my wife and I, and I remember being so stressed out and being like, you know what, I mean, wh- how am I going to take care of another child? We just got on our feet financially, and my mother said to me, she said, children come with their own set of blessings, and it seems like this child started blessing you before she even came out. Exactly. I had done one movie before The Rock, and I was so I married an axe murderer. That was totally on a fluke. Um, I don't think what happened to me would happen anymore these days. A friend of mine got called for the audition, couldn't go, and asked his agent if he could send a friend. And uh, his agent said, yeah, yeah, just get somebody over there. I don't want to look like a fool. I went and auditioned and got the role. That was my first movie. Then The Rock was actually the movie that I got my SAG card in. And I didn't. And I had to join the union. On I had until Friday at 5 o'clock to join the union. The SAG office was in San Francisco. And I um, was to work on Monday. I couldn't work on Monday if I didn't join by Friday. So I went to Chuck Johnson, who owned the Sobe Television Network. I got like... I needed like $1,086.53, I think I remember the whole total. I got $500 from Chuck, and I got some money from Jeffrey P., who owned Jeffrey's Inner Circle, where I'd been doing stand-up at, and I got some money from, um, I think, Sweet Jimmy. And I made it to this, I didn't have no car. My girlfriend gave me a ride over there, made it to the psych office at like 4.45 on a Friday, which is a miracle to get into San Francisco at that time. Yes. On a Friday, as you know, Rodney, and I got over there at 4.45 and filed the papers with 15 minutes to go and was able to start work on that Monday. So, yeah, that was my that was my second film, and, and my daughter was on, on set for that. So she's, you know, in Boston with me uh, filming, uh, you know, while I'm filming this, this latest film I'm working on. Okay, okay, so... Um, we move, we're progressing up your career. We got So I Married an Axe Murderer with Ricky Lake. We got The Rock, super super box office movie. Uh, and then uh, further up your career, you do Ball Rats, which really puts you on the main stage in, in, as far as the, uh, the, the quote-unquote mainstream America or the white folks. <laughs> yeah, white folks. Please. Yeah, white folks. Oh, well, well. Yeah, let's just keep it 100, you know. Yeah. Um, I, uh, wow, the, um, the Borat situation, once again, I was in Los Angeles, and my daughter, I had left her in the Bay Area, I didn't, didn't have a car, agent said, they need somebody to play a prostitute, you think you could do that, I'm like, uh, let me see, yeah, I could probably pull that out of my bag of tricks, and they said, they just need you to do improv, go over there and tell some crazy stories, and blah, 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 so... I went over there and um, got a ride from a girlfriend because, once again, didn't have a car. Wow. And went over to uh, the, the lot and went in there and had an audition with a um, huge uh, director who I did not know, Larry Charles, who directed Curb Your Enthusiasm for Larry David <clears throat> and um, for Larry David's show and um, for Sasha Baron Cohen, who I only knew as Ali G from the Ali G show and the Madonna video. Right. I did not know who he was out of his Ali G stuff, so I didn't know who anybody was. And went in there and, you know, did some, uh, sucked a couple of fingers, and lo and behold, <laughs> sucked my way on into that movie. And, you know, when you do a film, it doesn't come out for a year. So I was telling everybody on the on the tour with Kat, I was like, yeah, you guys just did this movie. It's called Borat, and it's going to come out next year. And they're like, Borat? What is a Borat? And I was like, I don't know. It's some crazy movie I did. 
And then the movie came out while I was on tour with Cat the following year. And so I had this double whammy. Everybody black in the world, urban, Latin, and everything was knowing me from the Cat tour and white. And everybody white, Jewish, and prominent was knowing me for this blockbuster uh, Borat film. And it was right. really uh, quite a year, quite a year. Man, that, that that is so amazing. And I think it speaks it to... Amazing. I think it speaks to your stick to itiveness because, like you said, you didn't you didn't have a way to get there or any of that. Oh. I mean, I think people oh. make so many excuses about why they can't do stuff, and you got stuff done despite everything. I've gotten a lot of stuff done despite everything, you know, despite, uh, you know, my previous incarceration, despite my failed marriage, despite my, um, you know, uh, raising a child alone, despite my living in a studio that was raggedy and nasty for the first year that I lived in it, and I stayed in that studio for eight years, and um, but despite having a car that was famous for breaking down in Hollywood in all the wrong places, my <laughs> car broke down one time at the entrance of the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel after the BET Awards. It was smoking and broke down right in the in, in the driveway. I had like 12 limos backed up behind me that were being engulfed in the smoke from my car. And, you know, embarrassing is not the word. And I, uh, you know, the tow truck drivers in Hollywood knew me so well, they would get the call to know my car license plate. And they go, oh, Linnell, you broke down again? Oh, I can't see my, you know. We're like, Julio, just put it on this. Just hook it up, Julio, and get me out this driveway, you know. So I I don't, you know, I don't. there's no excuse. I've never... I've never been sure of a lot of things. I've made, you know, a lot of bad decisions in my day, but there's one thing I've always been sure of, and that is that I wanted to entertain people, and I love to make people laugh. That is the only thing I was sure of. I wasn't always sure how I was going to do it. I wasn't always sure why I was going to do it. I just knew that that's what I had to do, and that's the only thing I've ever been focused on. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. Nobody can tell me different. Nobody can detour me. And uh, that was it. That was just it. There was no plan B. <laughs> wow. You know that you just took my next question. I heard Will Smith say those exact words uh, a couple of days ago that there was no plan B. Uh, I think if you want to be successful at anything, you have to be willing to do that thing at all costs. And uh, Will Smith said something to the effect of uh, plan B distracts you from plan A. Yeah, you know, you have to more so have that failure is not an option attitude, you know. Uh, I mean, my brothers and sisters thought I was a loser for many, many years because I didn't have a job and I was doing comedy and I was not making enough money and I could never kick in and chip in on anything. I couldn't buy my tickets to come visit the family. I couldn't come for Christmas. I couldn't do anything because I didn't have any money. I didn't have my daughter with me, you know, everybody thought I was a loser, get it together, why do you think you're going to be on TV, you know, you're you're short and you're dumpy and, you know, what makes you think that yeah. you're going to well, be on why television you? in a life, and, you know, I had everything against me to be a TV star, but that's what they said, but me and the Lord said different. Come on, preach on it, sister. 
Wow. So so that that brings us to today. You 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 just got uh locked into another film, an Adam Sandler movie who who I think is one of the most talented filmmakers slash comedic actors of our time and uh and you, and you are already working on it, man. What what how did you get that role and and, and what's the experience been like up to up to this point? Well, I auditioned for the role just like any other role, but I think that little underlining buzz has told me that they actually did want to see the girl from Borat for this role. I was the first one they saw, and, you know, I don't know if they're blowing smoke up my butt or whatever, but they said I raised the bar so high that they didn't really even want to see anybody else. They knew that I was their Champagne, which is the name of the character that I play in the movie I Hate You, Dad, which is the new Adam Sandler film that will be out next year that we're shooting now. I... um, can honestly say I've never worked as hard on anything in my comedic or film or theater career as I'm working okay. on this one, partially because of my age and my, uh, you know, stature. Um, I have to wear hooker shoes all day long. I have to crawl on the floor and, you know, do spins and tricks and get in contraptions and wear crazy outfits and do all this kind of stuff that I've never done before. Usually when I do a film, I got one outfit and that's it. Or a TV show, I got one outfit because I got one scene and that's it. I have like six or seven wardrobe changes in this film. I have like eight or ten wigs and, you know, there's going to be a lot of sweating going on. And I just, (laughs) uh, you know, pray for me, brother, because... This one is really, truly a labor of love. But when this comes out, if it turns out to be like they want it to be, you know, it's going to be nothing but but good for for me after this because Adam is a great guy. He's fiercely loyal. He hires a lot of minorities, has an all-black camera crew. Some of the brothers that are working for Adam have done 14 films with him. Wow. You know? Uh, I talked to uh, the prop guy. The prop guy had done 14 films with Adam. The head of uh, photography, the camera guy, the brother, and this is his fifth film with Adam. He's very much known for using people he likes over and over and over again. Uh, Some of the costume wardrobe people have done 10, 12, 15 movies with him. And, you know, I'm hoping I can be his resident black girl. Every time he needs a sister, call me Adam. I'll be your girl. Man, you, you know what? No and I, and I, I'm sure he's that. that type of guy. He's a Virgo, and so am I. So he's got to be cool, you know. <laughs> he's super cool. You are super cool. He's super cool. And might I say this uh, just about you? You know, before we get out of uh, out of here, I know this is you know my interview, but it's very, very. I have seen the changes in some people in this business from the time that we were hung and struggling to the time that they got some money in their pocket. I've seen, you know, some of them fall from grace in a terrible way. Some people I've seen just change in their attitude towards me or toward people in general. And, you know, you have been blessed with an abundance of, you know, notoriety right now. You're getting opportunities that are being thrown at you left or right. You know, I've seen your, you know, everything from your flyers, you know, change from the look of them to, you know, these new beautiful cyber look that you have on on your advertising for what you're doing now. And I can truly say that you have not changed from the day that I met you till now. And I want to just thank you for being the way that you are. It's so refreshing, and it's also very relaxing. 
to know that I'm not going to have to see you and face something all brand new or somebody, you know, getting some kind of brand new attitude on me or, oh, I don't want to fool with him. He treated me like this last time I seen him. I don't have to worry about that with you. Your kids, your wife keep you very well grounded. You're just a regular brother. I had a ball with you in, in Florida. When we were there oh, we had a ball in Florida. And, you know, I mean, we had a ball. It's documented on my phone. I need to post some of that on YouTube. But, um, it, you know, you, you're just really a great guy, Rodney, and salt of the earth, and I just, you know, wish all good things for you, and you're just one of the greatest friends in the business that I have, and I love you dearly. I just want to put that on Blog Talk Radio right yes. now, brother. Yes. Well, 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 again, thank you for for being my first guest back. Uh, one one last question. This question comes from Twitter. Also, uh, KC Carter, Foxy KC asks, uh, uh, "So you're taking stripper classes?" Which I'm sure uh, she may have got wind of your classes. You may have been taking uh, for your for your film with Adam Sandler. Right. Yeah. And yeah. her second question it's is: true. Are there plans for another baby? There are. I want you to. I want you to hear this loud and clear, Blog Talk Radio. And I have a boyfriend who's 16 years younger than me and has no children and wants them. However, there are no plans for any more babies out of Lunel. Let me repeat. There are absolutely no plans for any more children in my world under my financial care, or coming out of my womb in this lifetime on planet Earth. I hope that I have answered your Twitter question, honey, because, no, that's not going to happen. Now, after this movie comes out, as sexy as I'm going to be, there will be plenty of people who will want to give me a baby. I'm not not biting. No, thank you. You're not going to do it. Hey, no, hey, I'm hey, so my boyfriend, he needs to go out and have random sex with somebody and make a baby because it's not going to happen. Here, I, I, I'll give him that. Go make a baby, honey. I, I forgive you. Hilarious. <laughs> Lunell, it, right. it has been a pleasure talking with you as always. Uh, I count you as one of my friends, and uh, for you to do this for me is huge. Uh, this is Rodney Perry Live. Uh, we've been talking to Lunell, the bad girl of comedy. You can see her in the upcoming Adam Sandler film, or you can uh, get your Netflix out and check her out, any of the other fabulous projects she's done over the years. She's a comedian. She's a mother. She's an actress. She's a thespian, if you will, and she is one of the coldest ladies in the game. Any parting words, Lunell, before you get out of here? Well, I just want to say that, um, you know, I just hope that God continues to keep blessing us both. And, you know, if you have a dream and you 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 really feel it in your soul, don't let nobody deter you from that. Keep God in your life and all things are possible through him that believes. And um, I, I, I love what I do. You have to love what you do. You know, hold your children tight if you have them, and just uh, you know, keep your health together because you're gonna need it when 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 you reach the top. It's not gonna be time for hangovers and time for stomach aches and cramps and all that. Yeah. You know, you're gonna have to man up and get it together. So get your medical together, take your vitamins, drink plenty of juice because you're gonna need it when you hit that road. That's what I say. Ladies and gentlemen, you listen to Lou Nell, the bad girl of comedy. Her website, HeyLouNell.com. She's got a Facebook. She's got a Twitter. She's got a YouTube. Uh, she's going to be in Mesa, Arizona. And that's L-U-E-N-E-L-L, people, at Lou Nell or Hey Lou 
Haylunell, H-E-Y-L-U-E-N-E-L-L.com. She's got a Facebook. Correct. She's got a Twitter. She's in Mesa, Arizona, uh, June June 25th, and she's and, and July 9th in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the Orpheum Theater. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my friend, my girl, and you can catch her now on Nick Cannon's new video, Famous. She's killing it in that, too. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's so much stuff going on, and, and we're going to have to talk again because that's stuff that I couldn't get to that I would love to get to. Uh, this is Rodney Pierce all the way live. My first guest back, Lou Nell. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah baby. Hey, thank you so much, Nell. It, it's been a pleasure. Hey, y'all, keep listening. This is just to be. All right, all right. Uh, thank y'all. This is Rodney Perry. I am live right now. I got about four minutes left, but I wanted to definitely take some time and recognize the people that called into the uh, to the call and everybody in the chat room. Thank you for all of you guys who's listening via the chat. That's Jill J. That's Collada Chatwood. That's Ravy Rave. Thank you guys so very much, and uh, all of the guest users that came in today. Thank you guys as well. Uh, I'm gonna try to pull in these callers. I got like three minutes left in the show. Uh, call you on the air eight six two. You are on the air. What's up? Hey Rodney, this is Ravy Ray. Oh, what's up, Ravy Ray? What's up, Rodney? <laughs> hey, hey, what did Are you, you think there? of What did you think of the Lunell interview? I was so I was in here testifying with both of you guys. I was I def, I definitely know what it was like when you didn't have a dime in your pocket and you had these functions that you had to go to and you go to the ten dollar store and you rock that ten dollar dress and make it look like you paid twelve hundred for it. Yeah. I know what that's like. And I yeah. know that you know what it's like to sit back and you know, you got your little four hundred dollar shoes there about it. They don't know the difference. It's how you how you present yourself. It's, it's and all I in how you rock say, it, man. Exactly. And, so, you so know, what, can it, people, what can people look for from you, Ravy Ray? Well, I'm still doing It's the Ravy Ray thing here on BTR. I okay. also um, have a movie premiere, my very first movie premiere, The Way Shower Movie. Um, it's coming, we're having the premiere July 9th here in New York City. Okay. So any one of your listeners that are, you know, want to come out and see the six foot two gorgeous Amazon chocolate Amazon? Yeah, they come out to do that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm in I'm in New York on the thirtieth too, so maybe I can see you. I'm in Brooklyn at the uh, the theater there in Linden. I tell you what, I'll hit you up on Twitter and yeah. um, I'll DM you, and you can send me the information. Or I think your number is still the same, correct? My number is still the same, and the info is on my website, RodneyPerry.com. Let me see if I can pull in another couple of callers before I have to hang up. Well, thank you so much, and this was a great interview, and uh, keep doing it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Rodney Perry Live. This is Rodney Perry Live. I'm going to 614. You've been holding for a while. 614, you are live. Rodney Perry Live. We've got one minute to go. Give me something quick. Rodney, what's up? This Peasy man, I just wanted to tell you the show was great. I've been sitting there listening, and I just wanted to tell you some of the things that I'm going through right now. Yeah, I was just listening to you and Linnell, and it was so uplifting, man. And I don't—I mean, God works in mysterious ways. I was just flowing through my Twitter. You know, me and you follow each other on Twitter, and I saw that you was online, and I went. I'm actually in the bathroom right now. I've been in the bathroom for 35 minutes listening to you and Linnell. And, man, it was spectacular. It was just what I needed. 
Uh, wow. I'll be tuning in every week. So as so, long as you want, I'm listening. And it was a great interview, man. Man, thank you so much, Peasy. You know, you know, I'm going to call you once we go off the air. I only got a couple of seconds left. But I, I want to tell people this. Peasy is the reason that I'm on Blog Talk right now. This guy turned me on to this, this forum years ago. And uh, I did it for a while. And I... Stop doing it, and I'm back, Peasy. Rodney Perry Live is in full effect. Oh, my God. Y'all stay tuned. It's going to be off the chain. My website, RodneyPerry.com. And if you want to join my new, get new updates from me, text Rodney Perry, all one word, to 41411. This is Rodney Perry Live. It don't get no live than this. I want to thank all y'all for tuning in today, everybody that, that called the show. Everybody that tried to get in, maybe I couldn't get in. Two six seven, you're on the line. We got twenty seconds. Hello. Yes, you're on the line, Rodney Perry. Hi, Rodney, line. how are you? I got I just twenty seconds. Say, I'm quick. I just want to say thank you. The whole thing was inspirational, and keep doing what you're doing. Hey, and hey, follow love, me on Twitter. Tat your name on me. Uh, what is it? Tat your name on me. Oh God, send me a note right now. Me. <laughs> I did already. <laughs> All right, love. All right, stay, Thank stay blessed. You. I'm about to God tap, bless tap this woman's name on myself. Y'all stay good. That's My name right. is Rodney Perry, and that is our show. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus